Hey guys, this is Better You, the podcast that will help you make small incremental changes to achieve incredible results. A 1% change per day over the course of a year will make you 37 times better. And that's what we're all about here at Better You. Now, let's join your hosts, John and Ryan. John, how are we doing this week, man? Yeah, I am doing fantastic. I can tell you are too. Absolutely. Hey, you know, we're out there just making things happen and uh, getting those little personal victories done. Any day where you can really focus in, you know, check those boxes and give yourself some personal victories. I mean, it just creates tons of momentum. Uh, we've been able to do that in a big way today. Well, hey, man, we are here another week, another topic. I love how this topic relates to last week. Uh, as I've been thinking about it, a lot of what we discussed last week is coming into play. So why don't you go ahead and introduce this week's topic? Just fill that out a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. And this is episode six. This topic is going to be a little bit different than we've done in the past. The reason it's going to be different is because it is going to kind of build on where we go in the future. And it also take part in some of the stuff that we've already talked about. This is kind of like a baseline to begin to look at how you make decisions, really. So the topic is choice, comparisons, and decision-making, and a little bit of kind of like happiness involved in that, because those areas in recent studies show that they can have a wide-ranging effect on your success, your happiness, how you look at the world, and how you determine how you're going to navigate through the world changes. I had a Facebook contact who posted out, I wish my feelings would matter, something like that. I posted back to her and I said, who are you trying to convince that your feelings matter? And that was right before I came up here. Wow. That's deep actually. Right? Because (laughs) you you don't have to convince anybody but yourself. So yeah, but I think it kind of led in, it was really weird how it kind of just popped up and all the stuff you see in Facebook, that was the kind of thing that drew my attention and my response. Life is about choices. Life is about what we decide we're going to compare stuff to. And that sets up, we talked about expectations. That sets some goals around the expectation side of it and decisions. We'll start it off this way. Choice. We make approximately 35,000 conscious choices a day. Dude, no wonder we're like tired at the end of the day. A hundred percent because the choices work exactly like your battery does in your phone. So the more apps you got running on your phone and the more you're using the phone, you look and you're like, holy cow, you know, my battery wore out really quick today. You got to recharge it. Well, choice does the same thing to us. So 35,000 choices, that's 2,000 choices an hour. And that's one choice every, and we're talking conscious choices, right? That's one choice every two seconds Wow. while you're awake. Think about it. You woke up this morning and there are even things that you're automatically doing that you don't realize are actually choices. You woke up, you opened your eyes and you had a choice immediately. Should I close my eyes or should I keep them open to get out of bed? So some of those choices would be contained in what we call habits then too, right? Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit about habits and a little bit about another shortcut called a heuristic, which is a mental shortcut. That's about choice. Now, one of, one of the really neat things about choice there, too, is choice equates to freedom. So, people so, think, so help me understand that a little bit better. So people think the more choice you have, the freer you are. If I can go in to a supermarket and I could get one of 300 different cereals, then I got a lot of choice. I got a lot of freedom. And freedom generally equates to happiness. But that actually doesn't work in this case. Because once you understand how the mind works and how choices become problematic for us and how we go about making choices, how we select the criteria that drive us to making the decision, you recognize that choice overload actually makes us unhappy. Mm. Choices make decisions harder. And you increase the likelihood that you're not going to be happy with the selection that you make, which is actually called the paradox of choice. So we believe by having more choice, we would be happier. 
But in actuality, when it comes down to it, we're not happier. We're actually less happy because if you have a choice to make, and I, I use this, you probably heard me use this all the time. We have an ice cream shop downtown. You go into the ice cream shop and he's got 50 ice creams in there. Well, if it was just vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, most people have their favorite. I'd order vanilla and I would never be disappointed with my choice. But when I go in there and I'm like, man, should I get that? Should I get this? Should I get that? I get my choice. And then halfway through my ice cream cone, I wish I'd gotten something else. Because of all the choice, I'm not really gaining that happiness, that satisfaction that I should gain if you think, wow, I had all those choices. So, so John, something popped into my head as you were saying we can actually be less happy with more choice or more options. And the thing that popped into my head, why, why would that be the case? And one of the reasons is if I want to make a right decision – some of our personality styles, being right or making the right decision is something that definitely motivates us. Well, if I've got a thousand choices or a thousand things to choose from from versus three, I've got 99 potential opportunities to be wrong instead of two. Yes. So not only to be wrong, but to double guess your decision based on an option because we compare things. That's actually step number two in this. You can't look at choice by itself without looking at comparison. And that's why I kind of locked in how the mind works in it. So a quick comparison thing for you, just as we switch gears here, right? So we'll touch comparison a little bit. We'll talk about how the brain kind of operates and how we make decisions. And then we'll kind of explore them all together a little bit more. Imagine that you are on your way to go to a play. In your wallet, you have a ticket for the play and $20. The ticket costs $20. You open up on your way to the play, you open up your wallet, and you realize you lost the ticket. So you decide, what? Are you going to take out the $20 and purchase another ticket? Probably. You know, a lot of people won't. Really? They'll say, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about sunk cost or a lot you know hey look i'm already on my way i'm all i've already done so many things toward making this happen that to stop and turn around and go home doesn't make sense to me that's a good point right so let's take all of those costs back out let's say you're at your house you open your wallet up and you realize that you lost your ticket yeah no i'd probably be looking for the ticket or i'd be going you know do i want to spend forty dollars instead of twenty Right? So that would be a comparison thing that you're kind of doing, right? You can start weighing things. And you look and you say, man, I lost a ticket. Now it's going to cost me $40 to see the play. Is it really worth $40? Most people say, I'm not doing it. Now let's imagine, same kind of thing. You're going to go to a play. You have two $20 bills in your wallet. You're at home. And you know you have those two $20 bills. Same scenario. You look in your wallet. You lost one of the $20 bills. You want to go to this play. Do you say, wow, I had $40, I lost $20, I'm not going to buy the play ticket now? No, because I've, I've still got the $20, which I needed to buy the play ticket. Now, look, if I didn't have gas money for the way home, or if I didn't have food, if I had scarce resources, meaning I didn't have enough money now for things that were more important than, than possibly... But if, if I don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, now I'm $20 less, and where am I going to pull that from in my budget? I've still got $20. That's what I need to, right? to go to the play with. So I'm going to the play, is, right? What we're doing is we're looking at all things equal, right? We're yeah. looking at two scenarios, all things equal. And we're kind of setting the stage for how we compare things. So here's what the – they actually kind of run studies on this stuff, right? Here's what the study showed. Most people – when they lose the ticket, will not purchase a new ticket for $20 because their brain tells them that I have to pay double for the ticket. Mm. But because they don't have a ticket and the $20 in their wallet is not related to the ticket, they don't connect them. They don't compare those two things together. So they're not spending $40 on a ticket. They've actually lost $20, separate event, and they're still spending the $20 they would spend on the ticket. So their mind frees them from that decision, at the end of the day, 
when you compare value, you have the same exact thing that you're talking about. You are, at the end of the day, your wallet's going to be empty and you'll have seen the play. In one case, you lost two $20 bills. In another case, you spent, you, you spent a $20 bill and you lost a $20 bill. And in the other case, you have lost a ticket, which was worth $20, which you have spent a bill on. You just haven't connected those dots. So how we compare things and how people compare things for us and how they set the stage for that determines how we're going to make a decision. It is mind-blowing, and we'll go through a couple of examples, and I brought some financial stuff in because you're a financial guy, real-life examples here. Me, I'm a value guy. I really try to compare things based on value, and that becomes hard because value is a very hard thing for us as people to really wrap our head around. So that's kind of choice and comparison at a high level. Now let's just talk a little bit about the brain. So any questions about choice and comparison? Well, the, the, other, the other thing that uh, was floating around in my head, let me throw this out there and, and you can either talk about it or we can come back to it. But when I was thinking choice, comparison, happiness, the thing that went into my brain is I think a lot of us compare ourselves or our situations against other people. And we always look at them in their best light. We always look at us in our worst light. And it's automatically not an equal comparison, but we, we don't see that. And our happiness, we're basing our happiness off of something, number one, that's not real, but number two, something that really doesn't relate to us. So, for example, uh, we, we talk about living next to the Joneses and uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. So the Joneses got a boat. I don't have a boat. Our houses look the same. Our cars look the same. They've got a boat. I don't have a boat. I feel that I'm less happy because I'm comparing my standard of living against theirs, and they've got some that I don't. So then I think, well, if I go get a boat, then I will be happy. And when our happiness is based on an event and not based on us internally and gratitude for what we do have, we're always chasing happiness and never finding it. And that happiness is always contingent upon our comparison to where we are versus where others are. And we're always losing because we're, yeah. we're it, it's, it's, a, it's a false sense of happiness that will one day accomplish that's always eluding us. So, uh, that, that's the other thing that came to mind. You're 100% right. The way you begin to overcome some of those things is our next step. You kind of got to understand how the brain works, right? And I'm, I'm not a, a neurophysicist. I love trying to understand how people operate. I look at us as computer systems. You know, I say we're meat computer systems. And we generally operate pretty much within given parameters. The brain in and of itself in a basic sense is designed for really two things. It's designed to conserve energy because it's 3% of your body weight and it uses 20% of your energy in your body. It's designed, so it does a short circuit, it's designed to kind of like say, hey, let me put in some steps and some shortcuts, which are our biases, those heuristics I just talked about a second ago, right. habits that kind of drive us. And the second thing it's designed for is self-preservation because who needs anything if you're not around? So it's designed to make shortcuts for you, and it's designed to keep you alive. When you know those two basic premises about the brain, then you can start to look at how it can lead you astray when you're making decisions. So, yeah, you're looking at survival. You're like, you know what? We came from a totally different group than we are today, right? Today, we have lots of information we're at the top of the food pyramid. We don't really have very many predators outside of our own selves. So the things that our brains were designed and worked in, they're not very helpful in today's age because we don't have those kind of threats. This guy broke this down to really highly complex names that are hard to remember for your brain. System one and system two, right? That was the most creative guy I think I'd ever heard because usually you have these people and they put these names and you're like, man, I got to remember names. I love system one and system two. So system one 
is the part of the brain that we have no awareness of, right? Okay. It, it's, a, it, it's basically our data processing. It is our, our, all of our senses pick information up. We're not consciously trying to pick information up. It's just coming into us. And system two is where we are. It's where our consciousness and our self-awareness lies. So we have no control over system one. And we do have control over system two. And the unique thing is system two, when you use it, you, you can begin to change system one. And that's kind of where habits fall in. And we're not going to like go in depth into system one and system two. Just understand that you have a part of your brain that you are that receives kind of raw data. And then you have a part of your brain that's conscious that kind of acts in that raw data. That's where your choice and your comparisons kind of lie in that system two area. So can I make an example here and just get your feedback on that? Endorphins are things that make me feel good. Yep. I can't think, hey, endorphin kick in and make myself feel good. So I would say that that's probably system one. Yep. Okay. System two, I can go out and I can choose to run. As I run, that running, that process of running automatically kicks in my endorphins, which then makes me feel good. So there are things that I can do consciously in system two that will have a direct impact in system one. Now, some, some of them are probably more direct, like running endorphins, right? Because the two are a link. Others could occur over time, like gratitude journal, and then sense of accomplishment, endorphins. Maybe it doesn't happen right away. Maybe it's not as obvious, right? It kind of sneaks in the back door. And one day I'm like, hey, I just feel happier. Uh, I wonder when that started, right? Yep. So am I kind of tracking here? You are. That's all about those heuristics and habits. Let's take an example of driving. The first time somebody gets in a car, they really can't focus on anything. It's because, so system one, it... It's when, occupying all the bandwidth? Yeah. When, you, when you're doing something, you really have to allow system two to be able to process all the new stuff so you can respond to the inputs coming in from system one and when those inputs are new system two is the kind of the energy eater of the whole process right so imagine yourself driving so you're driving you're brand new you can't you don't have the radio on i i remember the very first time i drove Hmm. i went through a red light my brother was like dude you just drove through a red light and i was like what i mean i wasn't aware i was fully kind of trying to concentrate I didn't want the music on. I didn't want things to bother me. But now you drove, that's your office there, right? Yep. You drove to your office today. Tell me what that ride was like. I was listening to, to an audiobook, and uh, I was into the audiobook. And I, you know, I mean, I, I remember a few slow cars because obviously I had to be aware of them and move around them to, to go the flow of traffic. Other than that, totally uneventful. You're, you're on autopilot, right? Imagine this. Do you ever show up somewhere if you've driven there and you think back and you're like, holy cow? All the like, time, especially home. Home all the time. It's like, you know, at night or, you know, something's going on and all this. And, and especially at night because there's not a whole lot around that you can look at. Uh, I'd be coming back from like Pennsylvania or, or somewhere. And, and I'm like, I got two hours. And then all of a sudden I'm pulling into the, the driveway and I'm like, whoa, where those two hours go? Yeah. Right. So that's system one and system two in action, right? System one, system two is trained system one to be mindful of, of the input that's coming in. It's like, it doesn't really necessarily worry about it unless system two goes, what was that? Like the blue lights pop on behind you. <laughs> and you're, you, it doesn't matter if they're for you or not. System two jumps in and goes, Dude, we got a problem. Yeah. And then you start thinking about what you did wrong. So I wasn't even speeding and my blood pressure's already up. It just happened. So the other part that you mentioned there is really important too. We have lots of different chemicals in our brain. You know, you can't just sit here and generate chemicals by thought. Right? You can't be like, all right, let's see, I'm gonna flood uh, dopamine on this side of the brain, oxytocin on this side of the brain. Oh man, I'm gonna feel good. People do that kind of with drugs. You you can manipulate the system but not necessarily healthy for you to do that. 
But what you do is you kind of go through the world when you like things and that's how you form a habit, right? You look, you do it over a couple of times. An interesting thing though is why can't we form habits over things that, you know, we can form habits that are bad really easy. We have a hard time forming habits like exercise. That is a habit that's harder to form. And part of the reason that is based on the reward system. When you are trying to get yourself in shape, yeah. that reward is the future. Oh, right? yeah. That, that could be six months from now. If you take a bad habit, the reward is almost immediately. And you do the bad habit a certain period of time with some environmental triggers that remind you, like people who smoke, if you want to stop smoking, you've got to figure out those things in your environment that are triggered. Like some people wake up, first thing you do in the morning is have a cigarette. You'll find the triggers in your life. You can begin to start suppressing those triggers mm. and begin to reverse the process. So, you know, uh, let's focus on something that you just said. Since we're talking about happiness, since we're talking about comparison and the choices that we make, some of the best choices that we can make aren't necessarily the immediately rewarding ones. You just said a lot of bad choices or bad habits, there's instant gratification, and the good choices or good habits, that gratification doesn't come for a while. So I, I want us to think about that when it, when it comes to our lives and some of the things that we're choosing to do or some of the habits that we've fallen into, because if I want to live a happier life, I need to make better choices. I need to make better habits. Sometimes if it's me stepping on a scale because I want to lose weight and, and at the end of one week, I'm not seeing any results. I'm making a bad comparison there between a good choice will create quick results and I will feel happy right away. And that's a false sense of, you know, feedback. It is. It's a problem in our kind of our wiring, right? And I think it gets worse because we're looking for instant gratification. You know, I remember in the old days, you wanted to eat something. It literally was, what's a leftover that you could kind of cook really quick? Because if it was a meal, something that you wanted, I mean, you weren't having it. It just wasn't available. Now people are like, seriously, it's going to take a minute and a half to cook this popcorn? I don't know if I want to wait a minute and a half. <laughs> let, me, let me eat something while the popcorn's cooking. Right? <laughs> I'm hungry now. You make a great point. And as we go on in this series, we'll kind of tap on some of those things to, to try to help people look at how they're operating and tweak that thing I heard the other day. And I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but it was pretty neat. We all know how to breathe. We're breathing. We don't really talk about it. It's just something we do. But if you go underwater, you still know how to breathe, but you're in the wrong environment, right? So if you do exactly what you're supposed to do, you die. It's not about knowing what to do. It's about putting all of that together, being in the right environment, being in a nurturing environment, having stuff, and we'll cover game theory at one point in time, but there are scales out there now that are like, hey, way to go. You lost two pounds. Hey, so they're encouraging you. So those are all things that can help feed that system one and system two and create things that are good. One, one individual said, if you really want to get in shape, what you need to do is you need to have a better relationship, say, with the gym. Make a habit of going to the gym. Don't make a habit of going and working out. Most people right. go in and work out. They work out really hard. They get sore, and they're like, forget this. But if you just make a habit of going to the gym and nothing else, you'll start to be like, hey, I met some friends over at the gym. I, just, I went to the gym, and I just talked. If you did that for like a month, you're building the quick pathway to your reward system and you begin to train system one. So then you wind up saying, you know, while I'm at the gym, I might as well do a little workout. And over time, you'll have a different relationship with the gym as opposed to a torture place. You'll look at it as the kind of place where you go and hang out and be friends. And by the way, you get a chance to get in better shape. Lots of little things like that that you can do to help trick yourself. You know, that's really, really good. So let me just repeat that back and make sure that we're all understanding. Sometimes we might bite off too big of something when I'm trying to change a habit, trying to do something new. And if we will identify something that's easier to do, that starts us in the direction of where we want to go and make that a habit, 
it's much easier to make that a habit than it is to, you know, hey, I'm going to go, you know, work out for an hour every day. And after the first day, I'm so sore that I'm like, I can't even get back to the gym tomorrow. I didn't start the habit because I, I went to the gym one day, was so sore I couldn't go for the next two days. So that's one day on, two days off. I've, I'm back in the habit of not going to the gym and I've got to work through that. Instead, if I do something much easier, which is just show up at the gym, doesn't matter what I do there. If I make that a habit, once that becomes a habit, well, what happens at the gym? Well, maybe eventually one day I trip into a machine, mistakenly lift some weight, and I go, hey, that wasn't too bad. Let me let me do that a little bit. Now that becomes a habit. Now the weight starts coming off, and it's a domino effect because I'm in the right environment to create that habit. Did I understand that correctly? You nailed it. If you take a fish and you put a fish into a tank, the fish size will grow determined on the size of the tank. The bigger the tank, the larger the fish. But a fish will be restricted. The same exact thing happens with us. If you surround yourself in the environment that you are looking, the direction you're looking to grow, you'll grow in that direction. So if you hang out with people, you want to get in shape, hang out with people who uh, are gym rats. Even if you weren't a gym rat before you become a gym rat. If you want to be super wealthy, find people who know a lot about money and all that stuff rubs off on you and all of a sudden you're not worried about trading options or, or doing whatever. So the environment is super important. That's a choice. That's a conscious choice for you to make. But you have to be aware of those 35,000 choices that you have out there because each one of them takes you down to a new reality, right? Even if they were just binary choices, meaning one way or the other way, right? At the end of the day, in 35,000 choices, you're in a totally different place if you pick this one, then that one, then this one, as opposed to switching it up. Choice affects everything in our life. Let's look at some things that choice kind of does affect. I'll bring one up since you're on the finance side. So they did a study with 401k. Million people, 2,000 companies. And what they found in a study was there is a direct correlation between the number of choices offered. You would think the more choices, the better, right? Give somebody all the options in the world to invest. But guess what? People don't invest. Not only that, it comes out to every additional 10 options they offer for investing, 2% less people invest at all. So that's 2% people that don't even take the matching that their employer might give. So think about that. Because that's important if you're a business and you're setting something up or you're dealing with customers. You know, if you bombard people with choice, I don't have this as a note, but we just, we just went and we bought a car, right? We bought a vehicle. That vehicle will play parts in both comparison and in choice. They've given you so many things now when you go online, you literally can build your vehicle. If they start the wrong way and they overload you with choice, usually in the beginning, they limit it to like three or four things that you can only choose from. Because if they give you 50 things to choose from, your brain starts to say, well, you know, this is too hard, and you give up. When you're building like a retirement plan for somebody and you're giving them options, as an advisor, you need to kind of understand what their ability for risk tolerance is, how much runway they have in order to grow their wealth. That's right. And then you help guide them by saying, hey, look, here are kind of recommendations based on all the information you've given me. This one, this one, or this one kind of fits into those things. Is that what you're looking at doing? If I said to you, I want to sell you a house, and I said, just tell me what kind of house you want, you might not know. But I certainly could say and shape based on your income. That's a starting place, right? Yep. I'll know how much you can literally afford. Then from that, I can look at your family size, and I can go, you got four people in your family. Here's kind of the things. You, you probably need a school district. Now, I, as a real estate agent, that's the difference between a real estate agent who's an order taker and a real estate agent who's selling houses to an individual. That's right. You're shaping the choice for them. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, have you ever played that game where you're looking at something and someone's got a guess and so many guesses what you're looking at? And so then they ask you questions to narrow down the number of things that they have to choose from. So that's kind of what we're doing in opposite here. And that's what we've got to do for our clients and, and for everyone else is people aren't going to move forward 
if it's not simple. The, the more complex it is and, and, and you hit that, you know, the less likely I'm going to move forward because uncertainty creates doubt and, and, and I'm not going to decide and execute if I'm in doubt, right? Yeah, so, you don't want to make a mistake. No, no. And, and that goes back to, you know, I want to be right. So I want to make a good decision, good choice, right choice. And that's the decision-making process. Do, do I do A? Do I do B? What are the benefits of A? What are the benefits of B? What are the disadvantages of A, disadvantages of B? My mom used to call it the Ben Franklin close where you just, you know, you, you draw a cross on a piece of paper and you put down one choice on one side, one choice on the other. You know, what are the benefits? What are the disadvantages? You take a look at them and it helps you make a good decision. As we are thinking about all of the choices out there, to your point, John, if I will ask questions before I make suggestions to find out what are the things that are most important to you. Do you have kids? Okay, if you've got kids, schools are probably going to be a factor, right? Uh, do you travel for work? You know, where do you travel to, right? Maybe roads will be a factor. There's, there's all of these different factors. And if we'll just think about and put ourselves in their situation, hey, what are, what are some of the questions that I can ask? Good questions elicit good information. Now I can narrow it down to where it's in the strike zone. And I don't know about you, John, but I always like to give three options. Because if I give three options, it's not an either or. There's an extra element of choice, but it's not like I'm giving them too many choices. And I always like to explain, look, here's three choices. You came up with the parameters in which these three choices lie. That's why I'm giving you these three choices. And of these three, I would recommend this one because of the following reasons that are important to you. But which of these three choices do you feel is the best fit for you and your family, right? Yep. And that's going to be the next part that we talked about because what you're doing is you're setting them up for comparison. So the thing that you have to remember in this entire thing is not only is it about the choice, not only is it about the comparison, but how our brains actually operate can come out with two differently entire results, even though you're doing your due diligence, right? You might look at something, but if you look at it backwards, I'll give you a choice right now. Let's just say you're old enough and it's time for Social Security. I'm your financial guy. I'm a Social Security guy. And I say, all right, Ryan, we're planning for Social Security. We need to figure out when we're going to start in Social Security. Would you like uh, early retirement or would you like late retirement? Well, it depends. How much do I get early retirement? How much do I get late retirement? So then we go over those numbers. But using those terms, early retirement, late retirement, what do most people want? What do most oh, people strive for? Early. If, if, I, can, if I can have my time back, right? Did you know they actually really call it those choices, early retirement, late retirement? No. Yeah. So if you would change those choices, what if I said to you, would you like the max, would you like the minimum payout or the maximum payout? Maximum payout. So most people, same exact question framed in two different ways. Isn't that it's interesting? Choices, right? It's still choices. Yeah. So you have to be careful of not only am I making a choice, am I overcoming some of the biases that we have? I, this is one of my favorite things. Popcorn in a movie theater. They have, Three sides of the popcorn. And I've been to a movie in a long time, but we'll just go with kind of recollection. They have a small, and it's like maybe 275 Then they have a large, and the large is like 6 bucks. And then they have a medium, which is closer to the small size, but it's $5.50. The medium is there simply because they know how we think and we compare things. So you have to make a choice, and your choice is narrowed down. So check this out. When they do just the small and the large, 65% of people buy the small. When you add the medium in, it shows a shift in value that our brains kind of short circuit on, and then 60% then go and buy the large. So they completely shift the dynamics of the entire thing by how they represent it to you. Stores do that too. If you go, next time you're in a store that sells wine, like look at how they have the wine arranged. Some wine that they have in the store is not meant to be sold. 
it is meant to make the bottle they want to sell, sell more. So you have three choices in wine, right? You have a choice that's $9, $27, and $55. Well, if it was just a $9 and a $27, you know, most people would buy the $9 wine. But when you put the $55 bottle of wine up there, most people then say, you know what? The $27 bottle of wine doesn't sound that ridiculous anymore. Some really cool, interesting things. There, there's a, uh, and this is why I said this is kind of going to meander. There was a store a long time ago that put out a catalog. It was one, you know, one of the fancy stores. I can't remember which one it was. But the catalog was always looked for. And in the very beginning of the catalog, they would have something ridiculous every time, like a personal submarine for $20 million. <laughs> Believe it or not, some of these things they had up front, they'd actually sell a couple of them. Wow. Those weren't necessarily there to sell them. They were there to reframe your mind so that when you went in and you looked and you're like, a $400 pair of boots doesn't look too bad compared to a $20 million submarine. I equate this to life is like a giant magic trick. You're trying to watch this hand over here, but this hand's really messing with you. But it's the same thing with choice and comparison. So not only do you have to be aware of what's happening, you have to understand the underlying features of it so that you can stop for a second. I'm good at this when I negotiate for a vehicle. We brought that RAV4 and we came out and I was like, you know, I was high-fiving my wife. I'm like, you know what? We did better than I thought we were going to do. And the, here's your tricks. There's an anchoring. One of the ways that we do compare is anchoring and adjusting. So how does a car dealer anchor you? MSRP. Right. That price is there so they can set a flag in the ground. And then hopefully you'll say, well, I got it for this much under MSRP. We're good. When I walk in, I said, I'm not really interested in your MSRP. That's great that you're recommended price. That's not the price I'm going to pay. Why don't you bring me the price you paid for the vehicle and let's start with the invoicing price. Instead of seeing how much I'm going to save from invoice, let's work how much you're going to make or, or from MSRP, let's work how much you're going to make from invoice. And that becomes a conversation. So then you begin to control a little bit of the parameters and you begin to shape them slightly different. Let me just recap that. So what you're saying, John, is that choices that we make can be manipulated to the relativity of the information being presented. Meaning, if normally I would think that, why would I spend $27 on something or why would I spend whatever, right? Um, if, if they can introduce something that is much higher, now all of a sudden, the higher wasn't the one I was looking at purchasing, it's something that I would never purchase and now I'm basing my, my purchasing decision off of something that I never would have considered before. But because yeah. it's there, because that information is there, now what I thought was expensive is relatively not expensive, and I'm much more likely to purchase it. Yes. There's an interesting new thing you said there. You said they can manipulate. I'm going to go one step further. Not only do they manipulate it, but it's also an inside job. We unconsciously manipulate things that we don't, that we shouldn't put together. I really try to do things based on value. And value is very hard to calculate. I try not to associate, and we're kind of moving into comparison a little bit, but I try not to compare just to, to my past known. So here, here's a good example with that. Let's say you're shopping for a plane ticket. You go online. You really, you have no idea how much this plane ticket is going to cost. And you look, and the plane ticket, you see it's for 1500 bucks, but it is, or $2,000, it's on sale for $1,500. You're like, wow, I get to go to Hawaii. It regularly costs $2,000, $1,500. It seems like a pretty good deal, right? So more than likely, you're going to purchase the ticket. Now, let's say you you decide you're going to go to Hawaii and you go and you look and they're running a, a special on the $2,000 ticket and it is $700 because it's COVID time. And you look and you're like, mm, you know what? I'm, let me think about whether or not I want to buy the ticket. You go back in and the price goes up to $1,500. Yeah. 
the odds are you're not going to make the purchase because even though the price is $1,500, you approached it from two different directions. Yeah. So when you approach it from the gain direction, like I just saved myself $500, it's what we do. But we don't sit down and think. So the value thing is don't compare it to what it was. Compare it to the value that you get out of it and the joy that it brings you. Timing can really mess up everything about decision-making, everything about choices and comparisons. So one way you're looking at it is a five, that you, you gained $500, $500 discount. And the other way you're looking at it is like, well, I got to pay $800 more for this ticket, but it's the same ticket in two different ways. So you got to begin to train yourself to look for, I can't enjoy magic tricks because I'm always watching to try to figure out how to trick time. And I'm happy when I figure a lot of them out. It's the same thing with this. And I think that's why I like it so much. I look and I say to myself, what is, what's the opposite of this? How can I approach this from a different angle and see it slightly different? Because it changes the whole dynamic. Now you're making really a full decision because you're looking at the information from both ends. You know, it, it, it's interesting because when you're walking through those plane tickets, I was like, all right, $2,000 plane ticket. Uh, for 1500 bucks, Hawaii, I, I know that's an expensive flight. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal. But you're, you're right. If it dropped to 800 bucks or 700 bucks on a deep discount and then it, it, it jumped to 1500, I'm not looking at the 2000 to 15. I'm looking the 700 to, to 1500, right? Yeah. So, so it is interesting how we, how we view things and, and how we make those relative comparisons. We can really set ourselves up to make some bad decisions if I'm not thinking through something. And, and number two, some, you know, good decisions if we can really put this to work in our, in our court, right? And, and really uh, understand how our brain works and understand when we're kind of going off track and, hey, look, I, I need to get back on track here or, wait a minute, I'm not thinking correctly. I need to look at this, uh, you know, from straight on instead of uh, maybe a work perspective based on uh, other information that's been introduced. Yeah. And we're going to cover a lot more of this in future events, right? in future episodes, where we kind of break some things down to actual specifics on how people really come to making the decision that you can change how you decide based on there are a couple of parameters. So we do this thing called anchoring and estimating. And I, I won't go into it here. There's a lot of faults involved in it. And if you recognize those faults, you can begin to make better choices, right? So there are choice distractors, right? If you have way too many choices, you become paralyzed. We kind of talked about that. There's, there's two of these. And then if you have way too many choices, you also are less satisfied with the expectation that you set for yourself. A guy gave a really cool example. He's like, I had a pair of jeans. They used to just sell one kind of jeans. Now they sell like 50,000 kind of jeans. I went in. And I was like, he said, I bought those jeans. They were uncomfortable. I wore them. They got comfortable. I really began to like them because I wore them in. That's how jeans used to work. And then he went in and he's like, I'd like to buy jeans. And they're like, okay, you want relaxed fit, skinny jeans, this, 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 that, this. He's like, dude, I, I don't know. I want the, the one kind I used to get. That satisfaction thing is you set up a different expectation. And generally, you're going to, at the end of the day, you're going to feel bad because you let yourself down on something. So what they say is when you have one choice and you make it, you make the decision on the one choice, if it's not right and you're not happy, it's the world's fault because you only had one choice. That's right. If you have multiple choices and you're not happy, it's your choice. So that's where choice begins to rob you because you look and you say, you know what? As a financial guy, I know this happens. I know there's people that sit down and they look backwards and they go, yeah, Ryan, you know what, though, if I would have invested in this fund, then <laughs> I'd have this much money right now. Yeah. You know what? We don't get to have a crystal ball and go backwards. That's right. We only get to go with the information we have at this time. And that's what people need to do. If you really want to be honest, you need to go back to look at when the decisions were made and what information was available because anybody could watch the replay of a game and then tell you afterwards what they would have done based on how everything went wrong. We don't get that shot in life. Life works in one way. You move forward. You make a decision that changes the course and direction of your life. 
You don't get to go backwards and say, all right, let me replay that decision and do it a different way. That's kind of the choice thing. We'll move a little bit into comparison now because we kind of talked about comparison, but there was a, there's a, a Greek person like a long time ago. He actually came over to one of those Greek guys. One of those, one of those Greek philosophers. He actually came up with a formula. If you look at the formula, like, man, I, it looks Greek to me, right? He basically says you can make a good comparison by expected value equals odds of the game versus the value of the game. What that means is odds of the game, you're looking and you say, I'm selling 10 tickets. And I sold nine of them. You watched nine people in a room each buy a ticket. And I'm selling you a ticket right now. It's cost uh, $10. And you have a chance of winning. Uh, everyone put their money in. Uh, you know, it's going to be one of the 50-50 kind of raffle. That's so 50 bucks. Yeah, right? Do you buy the ticket looking around the room? You go nine people bought a ticket. I get a chance to buy this ticket. You know, most people buy the ticket, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a one in one in ten chance of winning. So, what if I change it slightly? What if I bought all? I bought nine of those tickets, and then I'm selling you the last ticket. So, ten dollar ticket. I got nine tickets. Right. And I want you to buy the last ticket. You kicking your ten dollars in? Probably not because I, I I'm I'm gonna feel your manipulating me, you taking my money. Yeah, I mean if if you've got nine and I've got one, that's 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 an unfair advantage. But is it? No, it's not. I mean numerically, I, I've got the same opportunity that I had before. Yeah, it, it was irrelevant who owned the other tickets, but I didn't see it that way, right? I, I saw it, it was. Individuals just like me, nine others, we've all got the same chance. Then I take a look at you. You've got nine times more chances than I do. And, again, it's the same thing, but I view it differently. So that's the compare, That's one of the comparison traps, right? Yeah. Isn't it strange that your odds are identically the same, but how our brain processes how things are brought to us and how they're compared I mean, I, I'm the same way. I look and I'm like, there's no way I'm buying one ticket when Ryan's got nine. Yeah. But I know the, my head knows the odds are the same. So we got to be cognizant of those kind of things because the news is playing those things over and over 24 hours a day, all day to us. And guess what they do? They pick the comparison. Yeah. And then they show you the comparison. And didn't they used to call those straw man arguments where they would pick an unfair comparison that really wasn't relevant? Yeah, that can also be called cherry picking. Okay. I think I told you this one. This is one I used to do to my to my students when they used to come in and they needed to clean the office, they'd have to take the trash out. I'd say there's three military guys show up at the hotel and they each pay ten dollars for the room. And they go they go up to the room, the night manager comes on and he looks and he says, So they paid thirty dollars, right? Night manager comes on and says, hey, where, where are these guys? These guys are military? Well, they're supposed to get a discount. So they should really only pay $25 for that room. So he gives the clerk five $1 bills. And he says, I want you to go upstairs, and I want you to go give the money back to the guy. And the clerk's like, five doesn't go into six evenly. So I'll give them each a dollar. I'll put $2 in my pocket, right? So they paid $9 each for the room. Nine times three is 27, plus the two he put in his pocket. 2829. Where'd the other dollar go? That's exactly what I used to say to these students who used to come into my room. Right. And they'd be like, What? I just framed the entire question faulty and wrong. But once you frame it that way, it's hard for your mind to walk away from what it is because you're trying to figure out where the dollar is, how things are framed. And do you know the answer to it? Um, I, I used to. Uh, go ahead and, and share it real quick. Yeah, right. So it's not adding the $2 that are in your pocket. It's subtracting the $2. So from 27 when you subtract them, you get back to 25 So it's just a way of playing with the numbers and switching the addition. We're so used to how things work like that that you begin to focus yourself on it. And comparison will do that to you. If you are focused on the wrong item, then you're wasting your time. So here, here's the neat thing, right? We said it's about – Expected odds of the game times the value of 
odds of the game against value of the game. The lottery. I love I love using the lottery because my mom was a big lottery fan. And, and when I was a kid, I loved the lottery. I thought, man, look at this. Look at all the money you can make in a lottery. All I got to do is spend a dollar and I can make millions of dollars. Right. Sounds good to me. But here's what the paradox is of that. I sat down with my mother and I went over how much money she spent in her lifetime. And I know she was being conservative. And I said, if you were to realize between your smoking and your lottery habit, you'd be in much better health. And you would have, and I, I, I think we calculated to be somewhere between 600, you know, over the 50 years, 600 to $800,000 in the bank. And she's like, there's no way it could be that. When I did her lottery thing for her, I was like, what, what would make you happy to win? She's like, if I won $50,000, I'd be happy. And I'm like, so you'd literally only break even. You, all this time, you'd only break even. If you could put that money into a savings account, even with modest kind of interest, and the long runway of time you have, you're looking at something totally different. We focus on the wrong thing. So here's how I broke my mother of that. I compared something different. I said to her, mom, here's what I'd like to do. I will give, you give me $2 for every guest. I'm going to write the time, the day, the month, the year on a piece of paper, all the way down to the second. I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'll tell you the decade, the 1980s. And you tell me the year, the month, the day, and the minute, the hour, the hour, the minute, and the second. And if you get it right, I'll give you $10 million. Wow. And she's like, well, I'm not going to do that. I said, why not? She said, there are a lot of seconds. I said, there are exa almost exactly the same amount of seconds as there are chances to win the mega millions. 302 million to one odds. It's nearly the same amount of seconds that are in a decade. But when you frame it that way, they look at it totally different. Yeah. You know why people play the lottery? Generally, they're not, they're, they're not good with math in, in looking at it that way. They get framed into seeing the winner. They associate themselves with that winner. But what if the lottery had a law that they had to put 30-second commercials on for every person who lost in any given lottery? Oh, wow. Right? On average, like 100 million people lose in the lottery. That would be nine and a half years of commercials non-stop 24 hours a day of people saying, well, I played the lottery and I lost. I, guess what? You'd never play the lottery if it was shaped that way. So just some interesting things, right? Card death over plane death. Here's what I'll tell you. Bad with odds. We have some fallacies. If I flipped a coin four times and it landed on head four times, and I said, all right, now let's start betting. What do you think it's going to land on? What are you going to pick? Tells. Right? Because yep. it makes sense. But the coin doesn't know what it's supposed to land on. Right. And if the coin is equal, it literally could land on that. It's how I kind of changed the way I play roulette. I like playing roulette, but there was a statement made at the table one time where a guy said to me, hey, you missed that by one. You, you just missed it by one. It was on the board. And I looked on the wheel, and I was like, I missed it by 180 degrees. There's two numbers on the opposite end of the wheel. How did I just miss it? I looked at the guy and said, I actually missed that number as far away as possible. The only other way it could be further is if the dealer would have made a mistake and the ball would have flew off the wheel and rolled somewhere else in the building. I couldn't miss the number any further. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. That's brilliant. Why did they put the numbers one way here and a different way on the wheel? Because there's probably patterns. Yeah. And I do well in roulette. Because you figured out that there's a pattern and the likelihood, yeah, 100%. So you, just change, you change the way you bet. Yeah. And here's what people do. People looking for patterns with, like, black and red. There are no patterns in black or red. That is completely random. But a lot of those guys get into emotion when they're releasing the ball. And they're at work. And they're not thinking. And if you watch, if the numbers on the wheel were in order – you pick patterns up real easy, right? You'd see eight hit, six hit. So I play these, I play certain numbers. I play uh, 9, 11, 26, 28, 30. You tell it, it's been a while since I played. They're five right next to each other. And then when I hit, people are like, oh, look at this guy, man. He's hitting all over the board. He hit nine up there, hit 28 down here. Those numbers are right next to each other. So I just, have, I bought one big number. And when they get in the area, I kind of start changing the way I bet, right? Oh. I double and triple up. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That is awesome, man. That is awesome. Well, hey, uh, I, I know that we are running long on time. 
what else do we need to talk about here or should we start wrapping it up? I think we can wrap it up. Here's what I'd say. Comparison, choice, happiness, decision-making, they're all interconnected. All this thing is designed today to do is to be the, the baseline to begin to think about the choices that you're making, what you're comparing things to, so that you can start to see behind the magic trick, right? Behind yep, the right. magic trick of decision. Something, again, you and I were going tonight with, for the scout. Yep. And you've heard me say this. Scouting over the last couple of years, the last two years, has drastically kind of increased their price. Guess what people do? They don't compare the value. They simply compare the price to what it was. Right. So it was $30, then it went to 60 And they were like, what? Doubling it? And I immediately, as soon as we were talking about this, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, wait a second. Let me ask you a different question. How much would it cost to hire a mentor for one hour a week for an entire year? I mean, let's go conservative and say it's $20 a lesson. Where are you going to find that person? I don't know. I don't think you can get a babysitter anymore for $20 an hour, right? Right. Now compare that cost, 50 weeks, $20 an hour. What's that come out to, $1,000? I always use calculators anymore. I mean, 50 times 20, I think it's 1,000. It would be 500 times two, it's $1,000, right? Yep. So if I say, what would you rather do? Put somebody in scouting for $60 a year or hire a mentor for $1,000? I've changed the comparison. My plea is simply when you are getting people to begin to make choices, you're making choices yourself, stop for a second. Sometimes the pause is really worth it. And try to think, what is it that I'm really looking at here? What is of value comparing unit price in a supermarket? People say to me all the time, why don't you buy the larger one? Because when I look at the unit price, three of the smaller ones are cheaper than one of the larger ones. They're like, oh, no, that can't be. Because they've tricked us. How many times do you go into McDonald's and you just simply buy the meal? Yeah. I've gone in a couple of times and bought the individual pieces. It was cheaper. And the, and the cashier said, no, it's not. So ring it up. And she's like, holy cow, it was cheaper. Because we're on autopilot. So all I'm saying in this entire thing, listen to the things we just talked about, a choice, about comparison, what you compare to, about happiness, and you're in charge of all those things, and about decision. And this is going to be the baseline for something we're going to build on in the future. Any questions? You know, I just, I, I think that we all need to go back. This was some really deep stuff, kind of like you were talking about the magician and the magic. And, you know, we, we, we see the magician and we're like, oh my gosh, that's impossible. Oh my gosh, that's magic, That right? Because we don't understand what our brains are seeing, not seeing, and how it works. Once you understand how it works and you can see it and you're like, you, you can never see it the same way before you didn't know. So understanding choices, comparison, how that relates to our happiness, how that all happens. Some really, really great stuff here, really deep stuff. And we can't start seeing it until we become aware. So self-awareness is key here. So uh, I, I just want to encourage everyone to, to go back through, listen to this a few times, take some notes, start thinking to yourself, you know, how is it that this relates to me? What, what are some of the paradigms or, or the things that I'm looking through that make me see the things the way that I see them, right, to make the choices that I'm making? Kind of like, you know, am I looking at the 1500 versus $2,000 or am I looking at the 1500 versus $700 when the real cost is 2000? Is that having an effect on, on the way that I'm, I'm seeing things right now in my life? And man, you start seeing things more clearly, you can really change your life really quick. So this was great stuff today, John. Thank you. Uh, and uh, the surface, right? And we'll throw this one last thing out there. And this happens to many of us. You're sitting with your significant other and you go, you know what? We should grab a bite to eat. Where do you want to go? I don't care. So then you leave it open. Here's my challenge. Begin to reframe things. You know what your partner likes. So don't leave it open for every possibility in the world. Now it's down. Say to them something like, 
would you like to go to, uh, you know, Olive Garden or Outback? And you're going to see that when you narrow it down to those kind of two or three choices, you're all going to be happier. You're probably going to have a better meal because you're not going to think about all the possibilities that you missed out. We tend to be not present in the things that we're at because we think we're missing out on something else. Become present in where you're at. Use some of these things that we talked about to begin to just simply shape the way you're thinking. You are in charge of how you feel and how you think. Just engage system two to become system a little bit more aware so that you can begin to train system one what it is it's supposed to be looking for and your happiness and your decision making will get better. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right. So we will see everyone next week. Hey, go through this a couple times. There's a lot of self-awareness that we've got to do. Uh, and we can't become self-aware if, if we're really not intentionally going through stuff and really thinking about it. Th- This is where the work shows up, right? But I promise when you do the work, you're really going to be able to make leaps and bounds to, toward that better you that affects you your family, your profession. So that's why we've decided to put these together. We uh, encourage each one of you to have an awesome, awesome, awesome week. And we will see you all next week. Take care, everyone. Ciao.